This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And, and what's so amazing, just after I got the call, just a few minutes afterwards, it was like God began impressing just a topic on, on my heart and mind. So um, uh, let's just bow our heads. Father, I, uh, I, I thank you for this time that we get to be in your word. Uh, I pray for Pastor Dennis. Uh, he's not well, and um, but I also pray that you would just help us to uh, speak your word today, not my words, but your word in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you could put together the perfect pastor, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I, I, I know you've thought about that. What would be some of his characteristics? And listen to someone's idea of the perfect pastor must have experience as a shepherd, CEO, office manager, educator, salesman, diplomat, referee, writer, theologian, politician, motivational speaker, Boy Scout leader, psychologist, social worker, funeral director, wedding consultant, master of ceremonies, church planter, missionary, um, helpful not essential, landscape manager, interior decorator, musician, minor league athlete, stand-up comedian. Sweet disposition required at all times, even when attacked or simply having a bad day. Must have wisdom and experience of age, but energy and glow of youth. Required to attend every potluck dinner, yet remain slim. (laughs) Applicant's wife must be both stunning and plain. Quiet, yet outgoing. She should keep the home immaculate, but be available to teach Sunday school, organize socials, and disciple women. Uh, children must be perfect, yet no different from other kids dressed decently. Uh, no overtime pay, frequent criticism, non-smoking, non-dancing, non-movie viewing environment, an equal opportunity employer. Well, you know, by now I would never be identified as the perfect or ideal pastor. And go ahead and say amen. Just get it out of your system. And one of the reasons that I wouldn't be identified as the perfect pastor is because I love to dance. Those of you that were at these candlelight service, you know, I just had the moves in me. Not, not really, you know, differently. I don't have an ounce of rhythm. Um, but today as we end up 2018, I don't want to talk about the ideal pastor. I want to talk about the ideal church member. Mm-hmm. You know, life's not fair because every few years you get a chance to vote on your pastor. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about life is so stressful as a pastor because when we go for, uh, you know, interviewing at a church, we have to send in a resume. They look at the resume and then if you pass that test, then you got to go before these these rabbis and, you know, in robes and all of that. And, uh, you know, they, they interview you and they, they ask questions. And then if you pass that, then... You have what they call the trial sermon. I think it's more error, trial and error, more error than trial. And then the congregation votes on us. You know, do we like him? Is he good looking enough? Does he dress right? Uh, Does he look spiritual? Is he smart? Can he relate? All of that. You you have an opportunity to make a decision. But have you ever thought about the fact that a pastor never gets to vote on the members? We never get a chance to express our opinion on who the ideal church member might be. And so today, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear from your pastor the qualities of the ideal member that I think every pastor would like to have in his church. 
Now, before we read our scripture, again, Acts chapter 4, I want to say that the ideal church member would not have been the Apostle Paul. Now, now the Apostle Paul was, was a rock star for Jesus. I mean, he rocked the world for, for Christ. But, but frankly, I would not want a church full of Pauls. First, because he would be gone all the time preaching revivals. And, and, and that's great, but you can't build a church on people that are gone most every Sunday. And, you know, we have our share of people in this church. They're, they're good. They're wonderful people. They're godly, but you can't count on them because they're gone more than they're here. Another reason that Paul would not have been the ideal church member is because he had a way of always riling up the city council. And even though Paul was trying to obey God, yet it seemed like every time he opened his mouth, he'd get thrown in jail. And so a church full of Pauls would mean frequent trips to Stockton jail to bail out our church members. Neither would Simon Peter have been the ideal church member. Now, now don't get me wrong. Pete was a wonderful man. He, uh, I mean, he preached a revival. 3,000 people got saved in one service. I've never had that kind of success. But Peter had a problem. He talked a lot. And I know none of you have this problem, but Peter did. He said some things that he shouldn't have said. Remember when he got mad and swore? So probably one Simon would have been enough in a church. The ideal church member would not have been Thomas. Thomas was the skeptic. He was the guy who said, you know, I won't believe that Jesus is alive unless I see it with my own two eyes. And, and Thomas, because of that, would probably have been the type that would have always said, well... We've never done it this way before. Bless God. Now, as we bring it a little bit closer to home, I also want to say that the ideal church member is not necessarily that person that has incredible talent. Now, a pastor always likes to see talented people coming to the church, but, but talent in itself does not make someone a great church member because here's what I found. Talented people many times are talented in saying no. So you ask them to do something? No. Nor does wealth make someone a perfect church member. It's nice to have some people with means in the church, but, but that in itself doesn't make them any more desired than anyone else. And, and we, have, we have some people in this church that God has blessed, blessed with some wealth and they're very generous. But, but as a whole, just a tip, do you know how the bills get paid week after week after week in this church? common people, blue-collar workers, people on Social Security, giving their tithe, giving their offerings. So, having said that, who would be the ideal church member? Well, there's someone in the book of Acts that I think is the undisputed ideal church member. His name was Joseph. Let's read in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. So again, his official name was Joseph. They called him Barnabas because the word Barnabas means encourager, and that described Joseph perfectly. So today we want to look at five characteristics of Barnabas whom I would consider the perfect church member. See how you measure up. The first characteristic that we see of Barnabas is that he was a load lifter. 
Now, I know that sounds funny, but let, let's see how this played out with Barnabas. And in the scripture we read, it said in, in verse 37, he sold a field, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. Now, let me, let me explain what was going on. Revival had broken out in, in the city of Jerusalem. And as word spread about this revival, people started coming from great distances to check out this revival. It's, same thing happens today. You, know, you have a couple of good services at a, at a church and man, people are there. They, they, they want to see what's going on. And so people were coming from a great distance and to Jerusalem. Well, as those people came into Jerusalem, they heard the news that Jesus saves. They were convicted in their hearts. And, and many of those people began to believe and they became followers of Christ. Well, then they said, you know, the, the church was in the infant stage at that point. And, and, and so there weren't churches scattered all around. They, they didn't have churches like in Eldorado Springs on every other uh, street corner. And so they said, you know what, there, there's no church back home where we live. We want to stay here in Jerusalem. And, and there was nothing wrong for that except for the fact that these people had no jobs in Jerusalem. They had no homes in Jerusalem. And so in the midst of this revival, the church faces the challenge of how to help these new Christians get settled in Jerusalem. Well, here comes the old here comes old Barney, the ideal church member. And he says, guys, I got some property. And it's actually a pretty good piece of property. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell this property. And I'm going to give all of the money from the sale of this property to the apostles. And they can use that money to help people relocate in Jerusalem. And maybe that will, in a sense, help lift some of the loads of these people. Now, bringing it to where we live today, I, I believe the church needs some load lifters. You say, well, I don't have any property to sell. That's okay. You can help in other ways. Maybe instead of donating property, you could donate your time. Maybe there's a husband and wife who desperately need an evening away from their kids, and, and you could help lift that load by babysitting for them one evening. Maybe you could help lift the load by sending a note of encouragement to someone. Maybe visiting someone that is elderly. But I also want to say that God has blessed some people here to where they could help lift someone's load financially. And, and, and many of you already do that. But think about what all could be done in the name of Jesus if we all did our part. You say, well, well, Barnabas, you know, by giving away his property, he lost what he had. Oh, no. In fact, he still has it. Because the only thing we take to heaven is what we give away. Someone said this, and, and think about the statement. True wealth, when divided, multiplies. True wealth, when divided, multiplies. And then someone else made this statement that really uh, struck me. They said that when we give money to God, God doesn't bless us off of the 90% that we keep. God blesses us off of the 10% that we give. So if you give, and do you know what the average church member across America gives? 2 to 3%. Not the 10, but 2 to 3%. So if you only give 2 to 3%, that doesn't leave very much seed money where God can bless you. And again, we're not talking about you give and you'll get rich. That's not what I'm saying. 
But, but it is a biblical concept that when you give in some way, God will bestow his favor upon you. So, so keep this in mind. It's not the seed in the barn that brings the increase. It's the seed that is sown that increases. And in God's kingdom, what you sow, what you invest in the lives of others, in the kingdom of God, is the part that multiplies. I know that was a downer. Secondly, Barnabas was a friend finder. Now, you've heard of a fish finder. Barnabas was a friend finder. Let me show you what he did. This was right after the conversion of a Saul. Acts chapter 9, verse 23. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Remember, Saul had been persecuting the church. He gets saved. And so the Jews are mad. They're out to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. So his former friends wants to kill him. He tries to make new friends in Jerusalem with the Christians. They're afraid of him, won't have anything to do with him. Nobody wants him. But now look. But Barnabas took him brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, the load lifter, now becomes the friend finder. He finds a new Christian who doesn't fit in with his former friends, doesn't fit in with the Christians yet. And so Barnabas goes to Saul and becomes his friend. You know, for many of you, because you've been in this church a long time, uh, you've forgotten. But when you go to a new church or when someone gives their heart to the Lord, it's tough. You know, you you, you come into this church, you see uh, little cliques of friends gathered together, talking, laughing, having a great time. And uh, now I want you to listen. It's tough for those of you that are locals here. It's tough. To penetrate your clique. When we came to this church on furlough, we'd been missionaries in South America. We came for a one-year furlough. And, of course, God changed our plans around. But 25 years ago, it was a scary thing. And you were friendly enough. But to be honest with you, we were still outsiders. And thank God for some people like, uh, you know, Kirk and Carrie and... and, uh, you know, Hoove and Teresa and, and uh, you know, some of the hubbers that, that, that took us in. Uh, they went out of their way to befriend us. But it was tough to not feel like an outsider here. And, and so don't ever forget that when someone comes in here for the first time on a Sunday morning, they're nervous, they're apprehensive because... You know, even if they came from another church, they're, they're afraid that they're going to stand when they should sit or sit when they should stand. They're, they're afraid that they're going to be singled out and, you know, so-and-so stand because this is their first Sunday. Could you give us your name and all of that? You know, all those things that we used to do. There's a lot of apprehension. And that's why we need to make a beeline to someone that you don't know 
welcome them. Be a friend. A little while ago on on 2020, they were talking about the fact that there are some little babies at the age of one, 12 months old, they already need psychotherapy. And, and, And what they were talking about, the research found out that a lot of these babies, they came from homes where there was no laughter, no cuddling, no touching, you know, just the basic things that, that babies need. And, and uh, so, you know, these little babies, just, just a few months old, were already maladjusted in, in, in life. They needed that affection. And the same is true for a new Christian. The most important time in the life of a Christian is the, the first year when he comes to know Christ. And so we need a host of people who will say, okay, you know what? This is uncomfortable for me. This is not me, but I'm going to get out of my group of friends and I'm not going to neglect them, but I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and go be a friend finder. I'll take them under my wing as Barnabas did Saul. Well, the third thing we find out about Barnabas is that he also became a bridge builder. Let me show this to you in Scripture in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, here's what took place. During this revival in Jerusalem, the Christians began to be persecuted. And and, and what happens when there's persecution? People scatter. The, The Bible says that some of these Christians scattered to Antioch. Well, they're in Antioch. These Christians couldn't keep silent, which is the way it should be. Whenever you know Jesus and you love Jesus and you serve Jesus, you ought to let people know about it. So what happened, they began to talk about the resurrected Savior and and people began to come to the Lord and revival started there as well. Well, word of that revival got back to Jerusalem, back to headquarters, back to the bigwigs where the apostles were. And the apostles said, hey, we need to have an extraordinary meeting to discuss this because it it appears that revival is going on there in Antioch. They're Greeks. They're not Jews. And and we're not sure this can be. So they were skeptical and and they said, is it right? Is, Is it genuine? They said, we better send somebody to investigate. And who did they turn to? Barnabas. Well, Barnabas went to Antioch and it didn't take long for him to see that revival was genuine. And he said, this revival has God's unmistakable stamp of authenticity upon it. And and the Bible says he began to join them and exhort the believers in Antioch. And, And he said, praise God, this is wonderful. This is amazing. But here's what I want you to catch. Over here in Jerusalem, you have what we would call maybe traditional Christians. And even though the church was young, yet the church was old enough to where they had established some traditions. It doesn't take very long to establish traditions. But but over here in Antioch, the church was brand new. I mean, brand spanking new. And because they were Greeks, they probably had a different style of worship than 
the Jews. And by the way, that's what I love about traveling to other cultures. Oh, I, I love the African style of worship. They, they've got it. They have moves that I can only dream about. I, I love the worship of the island cultures. South America, they've got it going. We're all different. And, and you know what? We don't have to copy the African style. Most of us folks, we, we don't have the moves in us. Might as well not even try. It would be ugly. But the thing is, we don't have to copy that. Different cultures have different styles. Um, but here comes Barnabas. Used to the traditional style there in Jerusalem. He comes over to Antioch. They're Greeks. And Barnabas builds a bridge between Jerusalem and Antioch. We need some bridge builders in our church today. For example, I want you to hear me out on this. We need some generational bridge builders. It, it seems that the generation gap appears to be getting more and more pronounced. Older people don't seem to relate to younger people and don't want to. And younger people don't seem to relate to older people and don't want to. And so here's what we say. You know, we'll give you your class over here. Here's our class over here. You know, you do your thing, we'll do our thing. Maybe we should all do God's thing. I think we can learn from each other. You know, I think that we, as the older generation, and I realize I'm not quite there, but I'm getting close. We can learn something from our younger brothers and sisters. And I know, I know we're out of date. We're out of touch. We're out of style. But some of us are also out of debt. So maybe we can share some things with you. We need some generational bridge builders. But then we also need some bridge builders that will help us forget our socioeconomic status. Rich or poor, as we say here in Cedar County, it don't matter in the sight of God. We need some bridge builders with a vision to bring us together in unity. And I understand that there are different needs. And I understand there may be a place for, for, for younger classes here and older classes. There are different me needs. But I believe that sometimes it would please God for us to come together and be together in unity. You know, in the, in the church, there are three kinds of leadership. There are the undertakers. They're the ones who constantly remember the good old days and they don't want anything new. Secondly, there are the caretakers. They're the ones who say, we need to take care of our own. Let's not get in too many sinners because our church won't be pure. But then there are the risk takers, those who step out on faith and say, with God's help, we can do this. And let's see what the needs are. And with God's help, we can build a bridge and be united in the name of Jesus. Barnabas was also a disciple developer. 
Now, here's what Barnabas does. He sees that people are getting saved there in Antioch. He's concerned because he knows that these young converts, I mean, they're, they're saved out of a life. They don't have the background of Christianity. They need someone to disciple them. So here's what happens in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So, so, so Barnabas says, you know what? We're having a revival here. I know just the right guy to help disciple these new converts. And, and he tells the believers in Antioch, you know, I'll be back. I, I'm going to Tarsus to look for Saul. He finds Saul and says, Saul, revival has broken out there in Antioch. There are a bunch of people that are getting saved. They need a teacher. You've been trained by Gamaliel. I mean, the best teacher around. And and now you've had an experience with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. I think you're the one that can disciple them. And I can imagine Saul said, Barney, do you really think I can do it? And Barney says, absolutely. I believe in you. So Saul goes back with Barnabas and begins to develop the new converts. And so here's what happened. Barnabas found hidden talent in a man named Saul and encouraged him to get involved. And so I'll just tell you up front, we're coming for you this year. We're coming to find your hidden talents. We're after you. 2019, get ready. We're coming for you. Because I believe that there are some hidden talents out there that need to be discovered and used for God's honor and glory. Now, what's interesting is that from this time on, after Barnabas discovers the hidden talent in Saul, listen, at that point, Barnabas begins to be upstaged by Saul. That had to be tough. Barnabas was kind of top dog. All of a sudden, Saul shows that he's got these amazing gifts And Saul now takes the leadership role. He writes 13 books in the New Testament. But what is so beautiful, Barnabas is fine being second fiddle. And I thank God for those of you that you don't have to have your name mentioned every Sunday. I thank God for those of you that come in and clean and and you do whatever you do and you never get noticed and you're okay with it. You don't grumble and say, I didn't even get a thanks for that. I thank God for those that see the big picture. And and you know what? If you don't get any praise here on earth, you know what the Bible says? You're going to get praised in heaven. But if you get praised here on earth, that's it. Forget the praise in heaven, buddy. So, let's not worry so much about being noticed. And, and, And I know we need to do a better job of appreciating people lifting them up, but let's see the big picture. We're out to see the kingdom of God extended. We're not to build our kingdom. All right. Let's come in for a landing. Barnabas was also a failure fixer. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas linked up. They become missionaries. On the first missionary they go on, Barnabas said, you know, I've got a nephew. His, his name is John Mark, and he's interested in missions. And would it be okay if he'd go with us? And, and Paul said, sure, bring him along. Well, on that missionary journey, for some reason, maybe he got homesick. Maybe it was culture shock. I don't know. Mark becomes a quitter. And John Mark goes home to Mama. Some time rolls by. Paul says, come on, Barnabas, let's go on a second missionary journey and let's go check on the churches, see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, sure, let me go get John Mark and I'll be ready. And Paul says, no, you're not going to get John Mark. Barnabas says, yeah, we need to take Mark. And no way. Yes way. We need to take him. No, Mark is a quitter. But, but Paul, John Mark has matured since, since then and, and you can count on him. And, and Saul says, no, you can't. We're not taking Mark. And again, the Bible says it was a sharp argument. And so what happened was this. Barnabas said, you know, Paul, let's part ways peacefully. We're two Christians. Maybe here's what we can do. I'll take Mark. You find someone else to go with you. And that way we can go two different directions, cover more ground. So Paul gets Silas to go with him. Barnabas takes Mark. And the point that I want to get across is that Barnabas takes this man who has blown it. He's failed. He's quit the ministry. He puts his arm around him and, and says, come on, John Mark. I know you blew it earlier, but I believe in you. You can do this. I want you to come with me. And I want you to know that this is the same John Mark who later on wrote the gospel of Mark. Same man that you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, when the apostle Paul was in a dirty, dark, damp Roman prison, he said, only Luke is with me. Would you please go get Mark and bring him to, to me? <laughs> Isn't this amazing? The one man that Paul wanted to minister to him in prison was Mark. How was that made possible? All because Barnabas went to this failure and believed in him and salvaged him. We need some failure fixtures today. Those who will go to the ones who have blown it and put their arm around them. Here's what we're good at. When somebody blows it, what do we do? We're good about gossiping about them. We're good about jumping on them like a dog jumps on a bone. And shame on you. You know better. But we need some people who will go to those who have messed up and say, I don't excuse your sin, but I believe in you. And by God's grace, you can recover. Let's try it again. I'm here as your friend. There was a boy whose uh, daddy died when he was five years old. This boy dropped out of school when he was 16. By the time he was 17, he had already been fired from two jobs. 
At the age of 18, he got married. At the age of 19, he had a little baby. By the time he was 20, he and his wife were separated. From that time on, he tried to make a living doing any and everything. He tried to be a railroad conductor. He failed. He got in the army, washed out shortly afterwards. He applied to law school, couldn't make it. He tried farming, couldn't grow a thing. He tried to sell insurance, he failed. He tried to kidnap his own baby and even failed at that. Finally, he got a job as a dishwasher and a cook. One day, he was able to talk his wife into coming back to him. And together in that little cafe, they cooked and washed dishes until retirement age. When this man turned 65 and got his first Social Security check, it was for $105. On the day the check came in, he looked at that check, and it was it so discouraged him. He said, Here I am, 65 years old. I've been a failure all of my life. I can't live on $105. He decided to take his life. So at the age of 65, he went out to the backyard, sat under a shade tree, began to write out his will. While he was writing and thinking, an idea came to him. He went down to the local bank and borrowed $87 against his next Social Security check of 105 He went down to the local grocery store and bought some chicken. And he began to fry chicken as only he could fry it. And he went door to door selling chicken in a little town called Corbin, Kentucky. You know the story. It wasn't long until he developed a name as having the best fried chicken around and You guessed it, the failure, this failure of a man became Colonel Sanders, founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, I'm not promoting Kentucky Fried Chicken, even though preachers do like fried chicken. But I'm trying to get across the fact that failures are not final. Failures are not fatal. And what we need are some people like Barnabas, that will go to those who have blown it and will put their arms around them and say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I believe in you. You can do it. So as we go into this new year, we need some Barnabases to step forward. Will you be one? Will you be a load lifter this next year? Will you make it a point to lift someone's load? Will you be a friend finder? Here in the next week or two, would you get get outside of your little clique, group of friends? You don't have to, you know, you don't have to say goodbye to them. You can still be with them, but Don't make it exclusive. Be a friend finder. You know what? We need some bridge builders. Would you unite some people this week? In the weeks to come. And then will you be a disciple developer? You say, well, 
I really don't know that much about the Bible, so how can I disciple? You know what? A lot of discipleship is just being there for them, praying together. You can do that. And then finally be a failure fixer. When someone fails, and they will. It may be you, maybe may be me. This year, I promise you, there will be some people in this church that will fall they will fail. Would you go to them and be a friend? Don't jump on them. Don't condone their sin if it's sin. But gently, lovingly restore them. So ladies and gentlemen, as we get ready to enter into 2019, now you know my view on the perfect church member. And as we pray, would you just make a commitment to God that you're going to be a Barnabas. You're going to do what God asks you to do to help build the kingdom. Let's pray together. Oh God, I thank you that uh, you've given us examples in your word of great men and women and especially the one that we study today, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Father, as we, uh, as we go into this new year, we want to make a difference. Lord, this is not a social club. This is not a country club. This is not a place where we pay our dues in the form of a tithe and hope to get entertained. And, but this is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not an organization. It's to be an organism, a living organism. And Lord, I pray that as part of this church that we would... be a Barnabas. Lord, I pray that here in the next few days you would give us opportunities. In fact, would you even now begin just kind of giving us a plan? And God, whenever I got the call yesterday that I was going to need to pinch hit for Pastor Dennis, Lord, I, I just almost within just a few moments, very few moments, you led me to this. And I believe it's because Lord, in this church, we need some people that would step up to the plate. Lord, those hidden talents, we're out to find it with your help. God, I, I pray that we would have such a love for your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you would just help us as we go through life. Some are retired, and, and so they will be with people... Maybe their age, retirement age. But God, I pray that you would just bridge that generation gap. And oh God, that you would help us to just see each other as the family of God. Not old and young, but the family of God. Lord, I pray for our younger set that we know life is tough. And Lord, it's so hard to make ends meet. And Lord, some are having to work a lot of hours just to pay the bills, but I pray, God, that you would help them to budget into their time 
serving you and serving others. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.